You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with the sermon this afternoon, we have two readings from the Word of God. I'd invite you first to open your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 34. We'll read the verses 1 through 14. It's important to remember as we begin reading Exodus 34 what has happened before this. That is that there has been trouble with the Israelites in their relationship with God. God was giving the Ten Commandments, and while He was doing that, they were making an image of a calf in order to worship that, or to worship God through that calf. This caused much strain with their relationship with the Lord to the point that the Lord said that He wanted nothing to do with them. Moses intervened on behalf of the people, and the Lord relented. And then Moses asked the Lord, can I see your glory? And the Lord said, you cannot see my glory, you cannot see my face, I'll only show you my back. That is what he has said up to this point at the beginning of verse of chapter 34. Let's read now the first 14 verses. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, the ones which were broken, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people who live among you will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And then we'll turn also to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin reading at verse 18. The third commandment, which is our text, concerns the name of the Lord, And here we read about the significance of the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Our text this afternoon is the third commandment as the teaching about it is summarized and confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 36. The third commandment reads as follows, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Lord's Day 36, then. What is required in the third commandment? We are not to blaspheme, or to abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence, so that we may rightly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in all our words and works. Is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly. For no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you reflect on the third commandment, concerning the name of the Lord, and you reflect on the current situation, you could say, in our culture, in our world, then it strikes you that in our day, talk is cheap. Now that's a risky thing for a preacher to say, but it's true. Talk is cheap. I'm sure that saying has been around longer than the last, say, decade before Twitter or Facebook or blogs or the proliferation of magazines, of, of big box bookstores, of ebook readers, etc., etc., etc. But if it was true then, how much more isn't it true today? And this has its consequences, that talk is cheap, that words are abundant, perhaps overabundant. For example, we're not inclined to put value or stock in, in specific words or concepts, like cultures past or other cultures in our world today. 
The Romans, for example, with their Latin language, were very careful about their language, very careful about words and definitions. We're not so concerned about those things. We also are not as concerned for the value of, of someone's name. We will easily speak ill of, of someone or something and post it on the internet for everyone to read. We think that we can speak down about someone, misuse someone's name, fail to uphold their reputation, because after all, talk is cheap. How much is that slander or slur against a person worth? Not much, if talk is cheap. And that also seems to be the situation with respect to God's name today. His name, along with His person and His reputation, are not honored. They're not spoken of with respect and deference, much less with love. There is, I'm sure, a Satan-inspired plan, desire to cheapen the name of the Lord by its constant and relentless misuse, blasphemy, abuse, and profanity. Our God, however, calls us to stand against this. We must love the name of the Lord God. That's our theme this afternoon. Love the name of the Lord your God. We'll consider first the significance of a name. What's in a name? Why would God command us to love His name? Second, we'll consider profaning God's name, as that is done and as we ought to try not to do in thankfulness to God. And third, we'll consider the proclaiming of God's name. So, what's in a name? What's the significance of God's name? Because the third commandment, after all, teaches us not to misuse the name of the Lord our God. And that is a little surprising, isn't it? We might expect that we would be taught not to misuse or mistreat God, or, or, or think wrongly of Him, or, or, or question Him. But that's not what it says. Rather, it says that we're not to misuse, very specifically, His name. That may be a little surprising, but if we, if we search the Scriptures and we look into the Bible, then we realize that the Bible is rich with references to God's name. We realize that God's name is very important. And the analogy of that, on a human level, would be the name of a person. We, we still use the, the word name and the idea of a name in this way. To slander someone's name doesn't mean that you start making fun of their name. Well, that name Ryan, that's my first name. To slander Ryan is not to say, well, that is such a weird name. You know, it's got a Y as the second letter that goes below the line. It doesn't even fit properly. It's only four letters. That's not what slandering a name is all about. We realize that when you, when you slander someone's name, you're not talking about their name. You're talking about them. Who they are. We associate name with more than just bare meaning. Speaking someone's name refers to their being, to, to who they are, their, their essence, their person. Such is also true with God and God's name. 
in the Bible, God reveals Himself actually with many different names, doesn't He? He he reveals Himself in the Old Testament as El Shaddai, as God Most High. And that name teaches us about God's sovereignty over all creation, especially of mankind, and that He is, is over all the affairs of men. That He watches them and He knows what goes on and He cares for them. The Scripture also reveals God as Adonai, as Lord or Master. Refers to God's God's Lordship, His claim that He has on, on every person on this earth. The Bible also reveals God as Lord of hosts or Lord of the armies. That speaks about God's power, that He is in control of the thousands upon thousands of angels in heaven, His heavenly armies, and also in the Old Testament about the armies of Israel. God was the supreme commander of those armies. And many other names in the Bible are full of significance as well. Most High, Ancient of Days, Maker of Heaven and Earth, the first and the last. You see, just saying the name recalls to your mind different aspects of God's person. There's another name that God reveals Himself by. Father. Father. It's a name of intimacy. You don't just call anyone Father. You only speak to your Father in that way. It speaks of God's familial relationship, of His his care and concern and, and adoption of His children, that He has brought them close to Himself and made us His children. He evokes strong images and feelings of love and care and tenderness and compassion. From our reading in Exodus 34, we learned actually another name of God. Jealous. Exodus 34, verse 14. Jealous. That points to the radically exclusive love that God demands from us, His people, His bride. That we should only love Him because He is a jealous God. So much so that His name is jealous. He burns when we love others before Him. What these names, in fact, show you is that God communicates through them something of His person. The names point to who He is and and to what He's done and the greatness of His majesty and splendor and works. And yet there's one name we haven't even mentioned yet, the most significant and, and profound and mysterious name of them all, Lord. Yahweh. Lord as it's spelt with all capital letters in your Bible. Yahweh. This is the name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush when He said, I am who I am. He never changes. He always is Yahweh. It speaks of God's faithfulness and unchangeability. It also is spoken of as the covenant name of God. It's the personal name. It's the name that closest gets to who God is. God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. My name is Yahweh. Within this bond of love, the the covenant relationship that we have with God, the name Yahweh strikes at the heart of God's glory. That was illustrated for us in Exodus 34. 
That was, as we mentioned, a troubling time for the Israelites. They, when Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments from the very finger of God, were down below making a golden calf in order to worship it. And God, upon seeing that, said that He would destroy the people of Israel. Or at least that they would have to go on without Him. He wanted nothing to do with them anymore. But at Moses' intervention, God relents. Moses then asked to see God's glory, but God tells Moses that he cannot see the fullness of his glory. He can only see his back as he hides in the cleft of a rock. And then what does God do? He passes by Moses. And how does he display his glory? He speaks his name. He passes by Moses and he says in Exodus 34, verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. And it reveals who he is. What does this Lord mean? The compassionate and gracious God. The God that doesn't destroy the people who are worshiping the golden calf. The God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The God who maintains love to thousands and forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. What beautiful words for the people of Israel at that time. God is a forgiving God. Their God, Yahweh, will relent. God's name reveals who He is. And through His name, God reveals Himself. He reveals His attributes, His power, sovereignty, majesty, glory, love. But He also reveals His triune character. And we, we see that as, the, as Scripture moves on and on, we see this more and more. We learn of, of God's love and faithfulness. We also see more of His triune character. Until suddenly in the New Testament, boom, Matthew chapter 1. And we see in, in full revelation, in full light, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, who came for the sins of the world. And we see the Spirit along with the coming of Jesus Christ and more and more as Christ would ascend into heaven, the Spirit takes center stage. We remember the name of God, especially at this time of the year, at Christmas. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus the angel announced that name of Jesus and it was important that he be given that name because that name was significant. What's all this Christmas fervor about? It's all about Jesus, which means Savior, because He came to save His people from their sins. It's about Emmanuel, God with us. God becoming a man sharing in our sorrow, sharing in our struggle in order to save us from it. That's how God has revealed Himself in His Word through His name. And as God has revealed Himself, that is how we are to honor Him. Yahweh is the God who is to be adored and worshipped and glorified. God's name is worthy to be lifted up and and loved with, with the fullness of our adoration, praise, and affection. 
There is nothing and no one as deserving of your love as the name of God. His name reveals who He is and what He's done. And so to dishonor or to profane His name is to dishonor Him. His being, His person, His great deeds and His reputation. So we come to the profaning of God's name. And as we come to this, especially after singing together from Psalm 74, your heart becomes heavy because God's name is not honored and adored in our world. Consider for a moment the nature of the commandments. There are the rule of thankfulness for believers. The commandments are given first and foremost for believers. There is an element of universal application in them, but they're given to those who are in relationship with the Lord. That's, That's to whom God has given His law. He did at the beginning and it still applies today. Children of God are to have no other gods before Him. Children of God are not to make an image of God. But yet this third commandment is the one that more than the others moves beyond the scope of believers. Because while not everyone has a relationship with the true God, God never ceases to be God. His name never ceases to be worthy of of praise and honor and adoration. And so any time that it's profaned or dishonored, it in fact is a direct assault on Him. That's part of the reason why the catechism speaks so strongly, saying that it's such a grievous sin that we need to prevent it and forbid it as much as we can. You see, no one expects a child that doesn't belong to a certain family to show the same sort of love and devotion and and responsibility to the father and mother of that family. If you don't belong to that father and mother, you're not to show the same kind of love. But there's no tolerance of a child who will disrespect that same father and mother of a different family, spread lies about them, or use their name as expletives. That would not be acceptable. There is, in effect, a disrespect, a direct shot at God every time His name is misused and abused. That's why we're not to be silent bystanders. And that's why there is, I feel, such a heaviness in, I felt it this past week, in reflecting on this commandment. This is the commandment that most applies to everyone else, but this is the one that is least respected. Our society is one that constantly profanes God's name. Now, if you're wondering, what does the word profane even mean? It's a bit of an older word. To profane is to treat something sacred, something special, something to be honored, with abuse or irreverence or contempt. Now, we don't live in a culture that's comfortable with profanity. We live in a culture that is profane. 
If you want to get a, a sense of the impact of, of postmodernism, postmodern philosophy on our culture today, look no further than the third commandment. Because the essence of our culture, what happens at the very heart of our culture, cultural activity is to reduce and to trash those things that are sacred and honored. If anything used to be considered special, our culture finds it its job to reduce and trash such a thing. We have old TV shows and dedicated to that. Think of South Park. Or comedy shows like Jon Stewart. He takes something that's sacred and he trashes it. Well, what's more sacred? And what's more to be revered than the name of God? And so that gets trashed constantly. We live in a time of immense and constant and blatant profanity. God's name is regularly, perhaps unthinkingly, but certainly relentlessly profaned, brought low, cursed, used wrongly, and openly defied. Is that a big deal? Yes, it is. This commandment says God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. In the book of Leviticus, there is a situation given where the child of a foreigner blasphemes the name of God. And so the question is raised, well, this, will this child of the foreigner be just as guilty as an Israelite who would have blasphemed? And the answer is yes. And so the culprit is stoned. No one who unrepentantly slanders, abuses, or frivolously uses the name of God will be held guiltless. This is a big deal. And so the catechism teaches us that we can't be silent bystanders. The way to approach, or the way to deal with this problem is not to build a big bubble around ourselves. Not to plug our ears. Not to be silent bystanders. God's honor and His reputation are at stake. So what does that mean? Because profanity is so abundant in our culture, it would, I think, be impossible to confront it wherever you saw it or heard it. God's name is constantly being profaned. But God calls us, as His children, to to do what we can to maintain His honor and to teach others to do the same. When the catechism teaches us not to be silent bystanders, it's talking about saying something that can be relevant and meaningful in a situation when God's name is profaned. In such a situation, you should ask for respect or or deference for the name of God and thus also for His person. What sort of situation is that? Well, if you're doing business with someone, you have kind of a relationship with them, you can certainly ask such a thing of them. You can remind them that God's name shouldn't be used as a swear word. Or perhaps with your neighbors. Or people you're working for. If you can say something relevant and meaningful, then do so. God's honor is at stake. Remember that. It's not so much that you're being offended or insulted. It's not that they're speaking against you. You're not concerned for your honor and reputation. You're concerned for the honor and reputation of your heavenly Father and His Son and the Spirit. 
So it applies to people that we have relationships with. It also can apply to the media and and uh, the entertainment that we take in. If a magazine that you particularly like it starts constantly misusing the name of God, then write a letter to the editor. Don't be a silent bystander. Speak out about it. Tell them to change their policy in, in deference to the maker of heaven and earth. Surely a larger culprit is entertainment. The language in many movies and shows is, quite frankly, with respect to the name of God, atrocious. We shouldn't participate in these kind of things for entertainment purposes. I recall working with a a young boy in Hamilton, Ontario, teaching him about Jesus Christ. And at the end of the lesson, there was a bunch of them, he was one of them, he put up his hand and said, why would God give to his son as a name a swear word? That's how far the situation has gone. Can you imagine that somebody wrote a documentary about Someone, and your mother was involved with that documentary. And yet constantly through the movie, your mother's name was being dragged through the mud, slandered, misused, abused. Would you enjoy that? Would you tolerate that? Would you put up with that? Would you laugh at the jokes? That's the situation with God's name today. How much more shouldn't we defend the honor and reputation of our Heavenly Father and His eternal Son? Our culture is a profane one, and so living in it requires much diligence, much strength, much support, and we have to realize much sacrifice. We might not be able to enjoy that Oscar-winning movie because of the the way they treat the name of our God. We might not be able to partake in some activities because of the way the reputation of God is slandered. And that's okay. Because it's our God that we are holding up and adoring and worshiping. He'll watch over us. He'll give us what we need. We can put up with a little less of abuse of His name and a little more adoring and loving His name. And we should be on guard also ourselves about profaning God's name. Not using God's name with respect to His glory. And not using it without due consideration or reverence. Letting it just become a regular part of our speech. Something that that becomes a filler. We shouldn't use it hypocritically. If the Lord is willing is is something we like to say. It's a good thing to say. James teaches us to say it. Use it with the weight that it deserves. We shouldn't use the name of God by swearing lightly or irreverently. Profaning God's name is wrong because God is God. Because God is holy and glorious. And it's offense against His majesty and holiness. So then, finally, coming to our last point, how can we express our love for God's name? 
We come to proclaiming God's name. And I should say that this really should be something like honoring God's name, but proclaiming God's name sort of sounded better than honoring. But honoring God's name by proclaiming God's name, that's what we're talking about. Lifting up God's name, using it properly. Using it with reverence and love and awe and adoration. There's a lot of troubling things. I could have gone on and on and on about the troubling things in our world with respect to the name of God, but our role is not just simply one of, of abstinence and, and self-censure and, and poo-pooing those things, but we have a role and an active role, and that is expressing our love and devotion and praise for Yahweh by honoring His name. We should express our love and devotion to God's name by honoring it. In the first place, we need to know God deeply and and truly by His name. Expanding your vocabulary of God's names, searching His Word and understanding what those names mean and, and what they reveal about His character is how you grow in your relationship with God. As you learn more about His, his power or His faithfulness or His love by His different names. And you can express these back to God in prayer by praising Him as as Yahweh, as Lord and King and Master, Most High God, Ancient of Days. So we can learn more about God by His name. Second, we can honor God's name by praising and glorifying Him. We Praising and glorifying Him is attributing to God what rightfully deserves to Him. You can picture that there's this big box. And that box belongs to God. And all around your life and and through God's Word and all around are characteristics of God, like His love, His truth, providence, His works, creation, healing, protection. And so when you speak about God and you glorify God, it's like you're taking those things and you're putting them In his box, you, O Lord, are glorious. You, O Lord, are holy. You are the one who is the healer. We glorify God by holding the name of our Lord Jesus Christ with high esteem in the way that we use it. Not flippantly, but but each time with the devotion that it's worthy of. Third, we can honor God's name by confessing the truth. This is the active part of being a of not being a silent bystander. God is not dead. He's not disinterested. And He certainly is not in any way related to a swear word. Either Father, Son, or Spirit. No, God is living and active. He's majestic and glorious. He's loving and involved. We honor His name by confessing the truth that He has revealed about Himself in His Word. Finally, we can honor God's name by loving Him. By loving God. What will bring more honor and glory to the name of God than you humbling yourself before Him, embracing Him in faith and hope, and loving Him with all your heart, soul, and mind? This is the spring from which obedience to the third commandment flows. Love the Lord your God deeply. And you will learn in an ever-increasing and deepening and fulfilling way to love the name 
of the Lord your God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.